0: So we're in the middle of a series which we have entitled, Uh, How Then Shall We Live? Uh, And uh, in that, uh, we're looking each week at a theme of biblical truth and what that means, you know, kind of from a theological perspective, uh, but then what difference does that make in our life? And, And so, you know, biblical truth is not merely meant to be known only like in an intellectual sense. It really is transformative. It's going to transform the way we think, the way that we uh, actually uh, feel about life, but it's also going to change what we do and how we live and how we even uh, go about living. So we've looked at creation, we looked at uh, the fall, we looked at God's providence, uh, but today we're going to look at redemption. And uh, redemption is a word uh, that... Uh, basically, it's a buying back of something to restore, uh, and, and we're going to look at what that is and what difference does that make for us as God's people, because what's interesting is without redemption, uh, there really is not much of the Bible left. Uh, you know, there's about two chapters of uh, creation as it is, one chapter dealing with the, how everything fell apart, and then the rest of the story is God promising to redeem and set things right. So we're going to be in Colossians, Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to read uh, and look at verses 13 to 20. Would you stand with me? Uh, just as we express our submission to the Word of God, He's speaking, and we long to hear from Him. This is what Paul writes about redemption in Christ, that He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness And transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He, that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him Making peace by the blood of his cross let 's pray, uh, God, we asked that you would be in our midst, and that you would uh, help us to see the uh, the amazing power and work of both creation and redemption, what it was needed, what was needed and necessary to to make us right and restore us. Father, I pray. Uh, For those that trust in Christ this morning, God, that you would renew our hearts, that you would challenge us in ways that we have, maybe we live as if you're not redeeming. But God, for those who have never trusted, I pray that they would come to a place where they know trusting in themselves uh, is uh, not working, God, that you would bring them to the end of that so that you might bring them and draw them to trust in Christ pray that today would be the day of salvation. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So you might know the band, uh, Christian band, For King and Country, uh, and uh, they have a song uh, that is, is this title. It's not over yet. Um, And uh, there's a lot of ways to take that phrase, but they wrote this song. It was about God at work in the midst of very difficult things. And they actually wrote it uh, for one of their sisters. Uh, One of their sisters was, interestingly enough, diagnosed with Lyme disease and struggled for years over uh, that and in the middle of her struggle, not necessarily at the res- the resolution of it, you know, there was times where she truly just wanted to give up uh, and probably all the senses of what that word means. Uh, you know, just thinking that this is all there is. It's never going to get better. Is God at work? Is God for me? And they wrote the song, It's Not Over Yet, meaning that God is still at work even when things look bleak, even when things look like... It's just easier to give up. God is still at work. That's the concept of redemption. That it is not, all right, we've got difficult things. Genesis 3 rules the day. Sin enters the world. Everything is broken. Deal with it. Because the rest of the scriptures from, from Genesis 3 to Revelation is this promise of redemption and this fulfillment of it, in that we are ones who get to experience the beautiful picture of God taking Uh, his broken creation, which he created very good, which we've messed up royally. He has taken it and is redeeming and restoring it. So let's review from prior weeks, but we're going to do it from our passage this morning, okay? Uh, So before we get to the passage, remember that this chart from uh, uh, Paul Miller's A Praying Life Uh, and uh, I got a ton of, hey, can you send me that chart? Uh, So number one, it's in the book, but uh, feel free to email me. I'll, I'll be happy to send it to you. So let's begin here, because we ended our understanding of what's wrong with this world with this chart. Because he talks about uh, his idea of having no story, meaning that you're, you're not a part of a larger story, that your life is what it is, that, it, that if you live as if there's nothing more to this life or God's not doing anything bigger, this is what you might be depicted by. Uh, you might be one of these, you might be all of them, uh, you know, that you find yourself bitter or angry aimlessly kind of wandering around, cynical, controlling, or at least attempting to control things, hopeless, thankless, or blaming others, blaming God, blaming whoever, that your life is not what you want it to be. That if you're not a part of the story of God, it's, it's pretty hopeless, but if you do have a story, if you, are, if you know that you're a part of God's redeeming story, God's uh, bigger picture, then what does that do in us? It brings in this sense where we are waiting and watching, and we're, we're kind of just, we're praying, we're submitting, we're wondering, what is God going to do? How is he going to do it? What is he going to make right? And in what timing? We're hoping, we're thankful, and then we're repenting, knowing that we're probably in the center of much of the broken things and of our own life. And so, as we put that out there, uh, for us to find ourselves on that that column that sounds a whole lot better than the bitter, aimless, cynical side, you know, the the watching, waiting, uh, submitting, hopeful, and thankful side, the only way we enter that is to know that God is redeeming all things, and so from uh, from our uh, passage here, what is Paul laying out is first the preexistence of God. Uh, you kind of see that at the beginning of verse seventeen that He is before all things. Then you see creation, verse sixteen, in Him all things were created. Then you see the image of God. We looked at that after creation, that uh, in verse 15, that Jesus was the image of the invisible God. And then we see providence. Todd preached on that, that God is actively at work in this world. What do we see in verse 17, the second part? In him, all things hold together. And so just in a couple of few verses, you see a summary of what we've done over the last month and a half or so. Uh, Creation, the image of God, God uh, actively at work, but then how is He at work in the midst of redemption? So, uh, from our passage, first thing we're going to look at, uh, and this is not an exhaustive list, actually, this one week became two because there's far too much, uh, and uh, even two weeks doesn't do it justice, but uh, that redemption repairs the Creator creation distinction. Okay, that's a mouthful, but if God is the one who made all things, then he sits as creator and everything else is the work of his hand, and that is creation. So you and I are part of creation. We are things that God made, and that idea establishes the nature of reality, okay? Because we're going to look at verse 16 again, for by him all things were created, Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So, with that verse, question, who made everything? God did through the person of Jesus, for by him all things were created. What is the extent of this creation? Is it just this world? Is it just this earth? No. He made all things both on earth and in heaven. This world is not all there is. That's interesting because that's not our modern uh, thought process. Maybe we'll see the universe, but is there anything beyond this life? Many in our culture would say, no. God also made an invisible realm. So the things you can touch, these chairs, this podium, the phone that's, you know, in your purse or your pocket, those doors, walls, trees, the sun, okay, God made those things visible, but what else did he make? Things invisible, like like dominions, uh, rulers, and uh, and authority that they have. The The ruler you can see, the authority, that's a concept that you can't See, so God made things visible and He made the invisible realm of the world. We're going to come back and see what that means, but then He also made the purpose for this world. All things were created through Him and what for Him. So, everything that is on this earth finds its design in being lived for God. Okay, the trees are there to give God glory. Music is meant to give God glory. People are meant to give God glory. And when we are outside of that, when we are outside of that design, were, we're operating outside of what we were designed for. And so redemption begins to rightly reorient that structure. So the nature of reality is there is there a seen and unseen realm. There's a physical and a spiritual realm, a natural and a supernatural realm not ghosts and things like that, but the idea of God, uh, and there really is a battle in the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There are uh, thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities, but who made them? In him, all, he made all things, all those things. So Jesus makes dominions. Jesus makes authorities. Jesus made rulers. Therefore, He is the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He established them all. He reigns over them all. Everything gets its beginning from Him, and everything is sustained by Him. Everything is made for Him. So, therefore, what does the the uh, what does Paul kind of push back towards in verse fifteen? is that he is of first importance. That he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now, before we go too far, the idea of firstborn is a place of honor and respect and privilege. This is not saying, uh, because the rest of the scripture helps us understand this, this is not saying that Jesus was born, uh, not necessarily like on earth uh, from Mary, but he wasn't born as the second person of the Trinity, nor was he created. Meaning, he is, what it means is that he is in first place over all of creation. He has the privilege. He is the place of honor. He is the leader. Uh, all of creation follows after him. Uh, and, and so in verse 18, Paul's trying to capture this sense of what it is for Jesus to be first, for Jesus to be of utmost importance. Notice all the words. So now this slides into the idea of redemption, but he's the head. That's the head of the body. Again, the the thing that is uh, most important, the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. He is the firstborn. And that in everything, he might be, it's a word we don't use often, preeminent. Uh, it means of first importance, of first place. Uh, some versions translate it supreme. Uh, and so, so, all of this passage is pushing to this preeminence or supremacy of Jesus that nothing or nobody is greater. He is supreme in comparison to all things and over all things. You know, He's the image of the invisible God, which we looked at a couple of verses ago. So, what? Adam did or was unable to do as the image bearer of God Jesus comes as the second Adam as Romans 5 would call and he does what Adam could not do he lives a life of obedience to his father he lives a life of uh, without sin so that he can represent us and make things right and that's why whoops not that yet did I go too far Oh, that's why uh, in the second half of verse 18, it says that he is the firstborn from the dead, so that in everything he might be preeminent. He's not just supreme over creation. He's supreme over redemption as well, the firstborn from the dead, the leader out of the things of death. It points to one aspect of the fall, that at creation he was obviously supreme and preeminent. The human condition, though, is to live as if he is not supreme, right? We are. That's the human condition. We think we're supreme, not God, but then we live as, as we don't live for his glory but our own. So he's meant to be on the throne. We live for his glory. We think he's not on his throne. We live for our own glory. It's the nature that we've, we really haven't taken him off the throne of this world. We just in our minds, think he's not, and we live as if we are. But in redemption, our view of his, re- his supremacy is now repaired. Nothing ever removed him from that place, so, so redemption doesn't restore his supremacy, but humanity stops seeing him as supreme, and so redemption repairs that view so michael bird commentator uh on this passage in colossians he said it this way that the resurrection of jesus remember the firstborn from the dead the resurrection of jesus is also significant because he is raised and exalted by god in order to rule beside god now catch this we tend to think of resurrection as leading to new life and it most definitely does But Jesus rose again from the dead, the beginning of Acts. He ascended into heaven and sits where? The right hand on the throne, ruling along with God the Father. And so the resurrection is as much about new life as it is the rule and the reign of Jesus. Do you hear the creature, creation, distinction being made right again? Uh, It's that God is preeminent in everything, redemption and creation. So since redemption restores our view of God, uh, and since redemption restores our view of life as it relates to God, we need to examine our priorities. So let's ask a couple questions, okay? It's a good start to say with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. That's a great beginning, but yet we all know there's a difference between saying those words and even believing those words deeply— There's a difference between that and completely completely living according to those words. Do you you know the difference? Saying it and believing it, even in your heart and then living it, those are not necessarily the same thing. So the question is, if redemption is restoring that creature or that creator-creature or creation distinction, who is the God of your life? two most common answers, God or you? Who is the God of your life? Is it the living God of this world or is it yourself? Asked a different way, does your will, meaning what you want, does it ever yield to God's will? Asked another way, when when is the last time that you submitted to God's will when your heart wanted to do something else. So you wanted to cheat on your taxes this past tax season. It was a tough year, even though the government gave us a lot of money. (laughs) But anyway, um, you wanted to cheat on your taxes. You wanted to skimp a little bit because nobody would even know, right? But God called you to integrity and you found yourself resisting your own will and willing to follow God even though it cost you. He sits on the throne and we find our life in Him. Or you're tempted to gossip about somebody or speak badly about them when they're not there. And God desires us, though, to speak only what is edifying to those who are going to listen to that stuff. And so you yield uh, and you hold your tongue. When's the last time that your will has been submitted to God's will. When you want to go a different way, that's the idea of creature and creator, that we probably have so many examples where we didn't yield to the will of God, that we acted as if he wasn't on the throne of all things and we did whatever we wanted to do. That list is probably a lot longer than the times that we did. And it's there that God is is at work, not just a one-time deal. He's at work redeeming our hearts to make us more and more after the likeness of Jesus. So redemption repairs the creator-created distinction, but also redemption reverses the effects of the fall. Okay? So uh, redemption is not just a do-over button. It is a reversal of what was broken. Uh, So verse 13 kind of gets us there, Uh, and there's a lot of different things in this passage that he, uh, God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Do you hear where we were? We were part of the dominion or the domain or the reign of darkness. But now, because of the work of God through Jesus, we are transferred into another kingdom. We belong somewhere else. It's a reversal uh, from one thing to another. We also see uh, in, uh, later that, we, uh, that he did those things for the forgiveness of sins. Sins against the living God, now there is forgiveness. Let's flip to uh, verse 21. We didn't read it earlier, but it's the very next verse. It says, and you who who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. So that's a mouthful. We were alienated from God. We were hostile to God doing evil deeds, okay? This definitely pushes against the sense where everybody's basically good. The scriptures do not teach that. The scriptures teach everybody is in rebellion against God unless God renews your heart. You were, this is God's people, you were alienated, meaning separated, removed from him. You were hostile, uh, not just removed from him, but acting like an enemy in the way that we lived. Okay, That's that's the beginning part of the gospel as it changes our hearts. If you can't admit that, there's really no hope and grace for you because you've got your life figured out. The gospel is for train wrecks. It's not for people who have their life fixed up. It is for people who have made a royal mess of it and said, I'm God, you're not. And God says, I died for that so that I could restore you. And so when we see, maybe for the first time, that we're separated from God or hostile to his, his rule and his will, that's an unbelievable thing because that can only be revealed to you by the Holy Spirit. You will not get there naturally because your natural heart says, I'm doing just fine, Thanks. So when we see that, where's the hope of the gospel is the verse right before it that through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. There's that idea of reconciliation and making peace. So the verse that we just read, we were alienated, meaning we were removed from God. What's reconciliation? Is when we were far away, or enemies, now we're brought near. So the idea of being alienated is healed by the reconciliation of the gospel, but we were also hostile, meaning enemies of God, and now there is peace. And so the, the gospel brings those who were once enemies now into a close relationship like friends, and begins to restore, restores, and then continues to build on a proper connection to God. How did all of this happen, though? How is all of this happening uh, is by the blood of the cross. The other sense is that, that first phrase, and through him. Notice all the different times in this, uh, in this passage that All these things that are true for us are in Him or through Him or by Him, meaning in Christ you are redeemed. In Christ you have forgiveness. Through Him we are reconciled. How? By the blood of the cross. You would think, if God could reset by just hitting a button, don't you think He would do it? Rather than sending His own Son to hang and be tortured on a cross, and bleed and die, and be separated from him? Do you think there would be another way that God would do if, there re- if it really existed? God would take it. But the only way that would happen is by Jesus coming and enduring the curse so that he could reverse it. The blood of the cross. Redemption is accomplished not by avoiding the problems of this world, Avoiding the effects of the fall, but by walking directly into them. That's why it says in, in Colossians 1.18, he is the firstborn from the dead. Death, the ultimate intruder into this world. Jesus endures it and is victorious over it. That's redemption. So think of all the things in your life that you wish were different. I'm sure you could come up with a long list. But the things in, this, in your life that are broken, that are not clipping along the way that you wish, uh, and are sometimes are just too hard to look at, right? You're like, you know what? I'm just going to set that on the shelf and not think about it too much. We kind of turn off. If you're married, you have probably lived that a time or two or three or ten in your marriage, you know what, that, that's just too hard. It's not resolving. It's, it, it's easier to put that stuff on the shelf rather than to say, God, I need you to heal this. I need you to heal my heart. I need you to heal something in our marriage. It's just easier. So redemption is not putting the bad thing up on the shelf. Redemption is walking straight into it. Jesus was the firstborn from the dead so that it might be healed. What's broken in your life? that you've kind of just said, I can't think about it, and I'm going to put it over here. God is saying, I think it has to live right in front of you so you can properly grieve it, that you can properly pray for uh, God to be the one who restores. Where in your life have you given up hope? I kind of lead the pack in that regard. Uh, in, in just It's easier to just resolve that just it is what it is and just move on. But I think Jesus is calling us to this active faith of restoration, because what's beautiful is this phrase in verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. The translation of this, uh, you'll see in different versions um, that it probably makes more sense that God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in Jesus Uh, rather than the fullness having a pleasing side to it. But basically that God was pleased to redeem broken people and broken things in this world. Amen. It's not just a powerful God doing his thing. You know what, I'm angry and I'm going to... God was pleased to come into the broken mess of your life and mine, the broken mess of this world, and to heal it. restore it, to reconcile it, to bring it back into its right place. What a beautiful thing that it was God. Actually, the word is that he is well-pleased. It sounds a lot like uh, different other passages uh, in God being pleased in Jesus that he would set this world right again. Now, I said this was a two-part series. This is the part that's getting mostly bumped to next week, but we got to mention it. So redemption restores that, that crea- uh, uh, creator, creature, or creation distinction, but it also reverses what's wrong, but then redemption restores the personal and the cosmic realms. Now, that sounds like like UFO kind of stuff. We're great at what, what I think... I think we are uh, really great at thinking is that God heals the human heart. I'm a sinner. Jesus died for my sins. I trust in Jesus for new life. And there's, that is definitely uh, in the scope of the gospel. But is that all of what God is doing? Is God merely healing human hearts? He is doing that, and He is doing so much more it's in the personal realm of your heart and my heart but it's also in the realm of all things cosmic uh everything that he created he said this uh that you know what what's the nature of creation then we can understand the nature of redemption for by him all things were created we looked at what all things mean that means all things It's a (laughs) literal, anyway. Uh, And so then if all things were created by him, what is redeemed by him is the same thing, all things. What's, What's really interesting in that is when we go back to 16, it's visible and invisible. That God is healing hearts that are in rebellion against him, but he is also healing all the nuances of this world as well. Culture, the the nature of authority, dominions, rulers, authorities, governments, friendship, trust, pleasure, enjoyment. You know, there's nothing about the concept of pleasure and enjoyment that you can see, right? Can you see enjoyment? You can see something you enjoy, but you can't see the concept of enjoyment. It's invisible, but yet it's real. And it's truly a part of this world, yet you can't perceive it with your senses. There's tons of things in this world like that, real but yet invisible. So when Jesus says he came to reconcile to himself all things, things in heaven, things on earth, by making peace, the definition of all things is all things that he created, tangible and intangible reality. That's fascinating because it's not just that Jesus is healing your heart and mine from rebellion against him. He's healing everything in this world. So everything he made that Satan made a wreck of, Jesus is actively at work to restore. That has a lot of implications for tomorrow morning. When you go to work, and you're not sitting in church singing a hymn. And you're like, What's the, what, what difference does my job make? Or what, what difference is this in the scope of things? Jesus is saying, I'm making all things new. There's a sense where tomorrow morning matters. What are you doing uh, to push back the dominion of darkness? That's the work of God as he's redeeming all things. We're going to pick up that concept next week, what does it look like for us to enter into this redemption story? What does it look like for us to push back the domain and the dominion and the work of Satan as we enter the story of Jesus's redemption? Monday to Saturday matters for the kingdom, not just Sunday morning. It's because Jesus is restoring and redeeming all things. Let's pray. Uh, God, I just pray that you would um, take these words, that you would kind of renew our hearts over what you're doing. God, help us not to just give up hope. Help us not to uh, think that we rule our lives. Uh, Father, would you bring submission? If someone's in this room and they have never, or they are in the midst of uh, being uh, in rebellion against your will, God, would you soften them? That it would be what you are pleased to do, to redeem somebody, draw them to you. God, bring them to that place where you are God and they trust in you there. God, restore them. Father, for those who trust in Christ, renew us in our hope that you are at work in what is broken in this world. What have we given up on? God, renew and restore our hearts over those things. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen.